for this Lord's Day. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you for giving us all that's needful for life and godliness in your word, and we pray that you would help us to understand it as we look into it today and profit by it and grow from the study of your word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we continue today. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, part 2, the second half of the chapter, or a little less than a half of the chapter left. And uh, so today we're going to look at verses 14 through 21 of Ephesians chapter 3, and I will read those now. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so that is Ephesians three fourteen through 21. Now let's turn our attention to the verses. Let's see if I can do it here. There we go. Okay. Now, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this takes us back, harks back to verse 1 of the chapter. So in, in, verses, or in chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians, Paul, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talked about what God had done for the church, had done for us through Christ or in Christ, for his glory, uh, the greatness of the plan of salvation that he's provided for us in Christ for, for God's own glory. And then he comes to the beginning of chapter 3, and he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and then he enters into a digression, which was last week's lesson, a digression that lasted for 13 verses. And he, and there he talked about his... Uh, how he had suffered for the, um, the uh, churches and how he was an apostle to the Gentiles and so forth. And that brings us, we get here to verse 14, brings us around full circle back to, for this reason I, which repeats uh, the words of uh, chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. So we've finished the digression. Now we've returned to what Paul says he's going to do. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father. So, um, the, for this reason, points back to chapter uh, two. You know, he said that right at the end of chapter, the beginning of chapter three, and said, um, "For this reason." So, what's the reason for the reason that was mentioned at the end of chapter two? That reason is that every believer is an individual component part of the greater whole of the temple that God is assembling for his glory and for his dwelling place. And so we're back to that for this reason, because God is assembling each of you believers into a temple in which he, God, will dwell. For this reason, I bow my knees. So obviously he prays. uh, And we're about to find out what he prays. And that's going to be significant because this is a prayer that not only that Paul prayed for the early church, but then the Holy Spirit breathed out this as Scripture told Paul to write this. So in other words, the Holy Spirit approves of this message. And uh, this is a message that, therefore, that God wanted the Christians at Ephesus and in the surrounding countryside to uh, have fulfilled in their lives. And that he wants us to have fulfilled in our lives. So he wants us also to have this. This prayer is also for us. And he wants this to be fulfilled in our lives. We'll get there in a minute. What it is. 
And then this is also a prayer that we can pray for our brethren, for fellow Christians. Pray this for them, that they would have this fulfilled as we're about to see here. And I mention here that uh, since Paul said he bowed his knees and, and is a statement that he prayed, therefore kneeling is an appropriate posture for prayer. It's not the only appropriate posture for prayer. We can obviously, as we know very well, pray in any posture in which we find ourselves. We can pray even though we might be physically uh, unable to kneel. That is not a hindrance to our prayer. But if we're able to kneel, that's an appropriate posture at times, and, and it's good to do that. It's a posture of humble and obedient supplication. Okay, onwards. Well, I didn't read verse 15, but from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So, okay. There we go, verse 16. That, so here comes the prayer. Here's what he asks God on their behalf. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. It ends with a comma there, so we're in the middle of a sentence. Voice should go up there. A strength with might through his spirit in the inner man. But that's the end of the verse, and there is so much good truth in here that rather than, than keep putting verses up there on the screen until I had a whole sentence, I'd like to stop and talk about each verse. There's so much good here. First, according to the riches of his glory. So according to, by the measure of, and his riches and glory, well, that's infinite. That's um, measureless. So this is according to the measure of his measureless resources. And once again, we find ourselves here, as we have a number of times in chapters 1 and 2, and already in chapter 3, and we're going to be a lot more today, <clears throat> dealing with things for which there really are no words. There are no adequate words to express this. We're talking about God and God's dealings, and God's grace, and God's riches, and it's infinite, 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 infinite. And uh, so there are no words often for this. There's How do we express this? Well, more on that as we go on, but we recognize we're going to be dealing with some of that. So that you would be strengthened with might. Well, this suggests a large amount of strength. You may recognize those words from over in uh, Colossians chapter 1. Actually, the um, Greek words there, uh, it's strengthen with might. It's, um, might is uh, dunamos there. It's interesting, over in Colossians, it's the other way around. I think kratos is the other one. And uh, so it's, it's like, in, in Colossians, is like that you would be empowered with strength, and this is that you would be strengthened with power. But I think it signifies about the same thing. <clears throat> that you would be greatly strengthened through his spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> who indwells believers, is the agent of this action. You understand that. So it's going to be the Holy Spirit doing this. And it, he indwells us who are believers. and He's going to be the one to strengthen us with might. To greatly strengthen us according to the measure of God's measureless riches. In the inner man. Uh, literally here, the in is into the inner man. For once, I didn't actually put up the Greek word. But anyway, the, not that I can speak Greek. But the commentators say so. That it's really, what it signifies is into the inner man. That you would be strengthened with might by his spirit into the inner man. That the strength would come into our inner man. And this is God's power entering into the inmost personality. The part of the person that thinks, we hope, and that makes moral decisions. I guess we do think, we may do it well or ill, but we, we think one way or another, people may do it well or, or, or ill. But uh, the, So the part of us, the innermost part of us that, that thinks and that is conscious of being an individual and that makes moral decisions, what we usually in the Bible would usually be called the heart, and have to often give that explanation uh, when we talk about this, because in modern American parlance, the heart has come to be the 
seen as the seat of the emotions and you know decide with your heart just decides on what you just feel like at the moment well this isn't that this is the innermost being so he's praying that God would grant us in in just beyond measure because his riches are beyond measure according to the measure of beyond measure would grant us to be enormously strengthened uh, by the Holy Spirit pouring strength into our innermost being. And the sentence isn't over yet. So we go on. Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. And we're still not done with the sentence, but it's another good place to, to pause and talk about the riches of what we have in these couple of phrases. So, that Christ may dwell. Now, Yes, I can read the English from uh, up here to back there, but I can't. I put the Greek word up there. It's not particularly important, and I imagine the Greek word means no more to you than to me. I put it up there, though, because um, I, it's just a, well, there's several reasons I do this. One thing is just a quirk of mine that um, sometimes a preacher we preach, and I'll say the Greek word here means this. And not because I doubt his word, because I'm sure that it, it does, and he says so, but I just feel a personal curiosity well, what Greek word? Tell me, what Greek word is it? So, there. There's the Greek word. It's, it's the one on the screen. Well, the screen up there for you. Um, okay. And uh, it's derived from the Greek word for habitation. So, that Christ may dwell. That Christ may make his habitation in you. That he may settle down and abide and establish a permanent habitation. So, he says to the believers... I want you to be, I pray that God would strengthen you greatly by his spirit into your innermost being, that Christ might settle down and establish a permanent habitation in you, that that might be his dwelling place. He might just set up there and, you know, sometimes we talk about, you know, the, uh, oh, the, the punt, Returner, or the, the well, maybe the outfielder. It's baseball season now. The outfielder, he got he got there to where that fly ball was coming down so early. He just camped under it, you know, and he was just ready for it. And uh, because he stayed there so long, he camped. Up. Well, no, this is not for Christ just to come and camp in your heart. That's temporary. I want Christ to set up his permanent residence in your heart through faith. Uh, that's the, the means by which this happens. That is through your faith. Um, I mean, whose else faith could it actually be? Not through Christ's faith, because he, Christ, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, being God, being omniscient, have present direct perception of all things past, present, and future. So... Um, you know, I, I suppose in a way it's it's a true thing, but it's maybe it's not true. You say, well, God has faith in me. Uh, maybe <laughs> I don't know, but uh, the thing is, um, God doesn't have to have faith in me. He knows exactly what I'm going to do in the future. I don't, but He does. So uh, it's through your faith, and of course, we're saved by grace through faith, and so through your faith that. The Holy Spirit would strengthen you by pouring great might into your innermost being to the extent and to the, to the end that Christ might establish his permanent residence in your heart. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, you notice that my points, my outline points here, talking points if you will, are not in that order. I've got in love, rooted and grounded. So I've become Yoda this morning. Well, actually, uh, that is the order in which those words appear in the Greek. Uh, that uh, the, the word order is changed around, and you can do that in Greek in order for emphasis. And you can do that in, in some other languages more than you can in English. You can do it a little bit in English. Sometimes you get away with, if, well, if you're Yoda, you do it all the time. But uh, without having your editor flag it and say, why don't you use another word order here? Uh, this will confuse people. Sometimes in English you can, but in an inflected language that tells you what the word is doing in the sentence by 
the, uh, the, the inflection of the nouns and pronouns, you can do it a lot more. And here in the Greek, it's in love being rooted and grounded. That does sound like Yoda. But that's what it says in the Greek. Now, the purpose in the Greek is not to sound funny like some fictional character. No, of course not. But it is to uh, put the emphasis on a word. So you generally when you, this is true in English to the degree you get away with, it's certainly true in German and I take it to be true in Greek, that you emphasize a word anytime you place it outside of the expected order in the sentence. And so, you know, you would expect being rooted and grounded in love. This is in love being rooted and grounded. So emphasis on that. Of course, this love is agape. You, uh, that, was, that was an easy guess because I, I wonder if God is ever uh, mentioned in the Bible as doing any other kind of love but agape. Maybe. I don't know them all. But certainly that's usually what we expect from God's love. And this refers to God's love, God's agape love for us. So rooted and grounded in love. So, but in the order that it was in the scripture, we got in love, in God's agape love for us, being rooted and grounded. So rooted and grounded, we've got two things here that reinforce the same kind of message. Being grounded, which uh, I understand commentator said the word could also be translated founded, so grounded upon or founded upon, having as our foundation and resting upon, as a building rests on its foundation. And you know, if a building is lifted off its foundation, that building loses a great deal of its strength and indeed will probably collapse pretty quickly. And, and if you see a building that has been lifted off its foundation still standing, I don't think I'd want to go into that building because it is probably very precarious. So our are rooted and grounded in God's agape love for us. Now, of course, we are not literally physical buildings made of brick and mortar sitting on a physical foundation of God's love. And so we can, uh, this figurative statement can be used different ways. For example, the church is built on Christ who is the, the one true foundation or elsewhere the true cornerstone kind of the same, but it's really the same thing it really is saying the same thing this is rooted in our first of all grounded founded built on the foundation of god's agape love for us and we can rest on that and it's good to know that we can rest rest is sometimes really feel like resting uh i got through about two-thirds of my work yesterday and i really felt like resting well um in, in this life, we can rest on the foundation that God loves us. We might think, well, but I'm not good enough. No, very likely not. <laughs> but God loves me anyway. Uh, but, uh, but maybe I think nobody else loves me. Yeah, I think so. I think at least one other person loves me on earth, probably more than that. And, uh, but, you know, but God loves me, even if it were true. Even if, you know, those times when you're feeling really bad, you think, no one else loves me. No one loves me at all. Yeah, but God loves you. And that, that's a foundation you can really rest on. Uh, you know, human beings want to be loved, and we are, and God actually loves us. If that doesn't seem real to us, well, that's a problem. That needs to seem real to us. And in fact, that's a good bit of what this passage is about. And uh, it comes down, again, to believing true things about God, believing in God as what he actually is. So grounded. And then also rooted, like a tree. And the tree gets its life from its roots. If you uh, tear up the roots of a tree or you smother the roots of a tree, you will kill the tree, probably. I had uh, friends of ours, there was friends of ours in Tekoa, and they had some nice, to go with Georgia, <laughs> they had some nice big oak trees in their front. They have nice big trees in Tekoak in, in Georgia, in northeast Georgia, because it rains. And rains sometimes, and just rains and goes on raining. And I was just telling my wife yesterday, I was looking at the sky yesterday after and saying, well, if it looked like this in, in Tekoak, if it looked like this in Georgia, it would rain. It would seriously dump a lot of rain on us. But here it doesn't necessarily do that. But um, anyway, uh, they had big trees in Georgia, and our friends had some big oak trees down by the front of their, their lawn, nice, nice lawn sweeping down there, these big oak trees. 
And uh, there was some grading done about the road. I'm not quite exactly sure what it was. Uh, but some dirt was moved around. And uh, the oak trees, the, the ground level was raised around the base of the oak trees. I mean, rather extensively around them. And those trees all died because their roots had been smothered. Oh, I, I guess that's what will happen. Now, on the other hand, um, I've done some guest teaching for Welch College up in Nashville, Tennessee. And their old campus, they had some nice old, oak, nice big oak trees because it rains in Nashville, too. And uh, they've moved since they've moved uh, to a new campus. I guess it's really nice. They've been up there since then. Since then. But they, they re-blacktopped their parking lots and they paved right up, right up to the bull of those oak trees. And I, I told a professor friend of mine, they're saying, well, those oak trees are going to die. That's, that's just going to smother their roots. And they didn't die at all. So it just shows how much I know. More things in heaven and earth than are thought of in my philosophy. But anyway, if you do succeed in killing the roots of an oak tree, uh, whatever way you do it, you'll kill the tree too because it depends on its first life, on its roots, or, or just any tree. If you kill the roots or uh, by whatever means. Because it... Uh, life flows, sap in other words, flows uh, from those roots up uh, through the trunk of that uh, tree and that keeps the tree alive and even so we're rooted in God's agape love for us that that gives life to us and that gives spiritual life to us and and keeps us going, keeps our leaves green and growing and, and all that knowing that God loves us. That may seem like a small thing or may seem like a trivial thing until you would get to the place that you thought nobody loved you and then it would be a very big thing indeed. And you would know, no, wait, the God of all the universe knows me and he loves me anyway. That's agape. All right. All righty. Okay, on the second click, that's pretty good. May be able to comprehend. So it's still all still this sentence of what you, you know, he wants to happen to you that, that um, you be strengthened with might in the, into the inner man by the Holy Spirit, uh, according to the measure of God's immeasurable riches in glory, that the Christ would come and make a permanent abode in your heart by faith, uh, by, through your faith, uh, through the love of God, that you would be rooted and grounded in the love of God, and that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. And again, we stop and we're still not done with the sentence. And we don't even know what's the, the length and uh, the, or the width and length and depth and height of what. Well, um, I'll give you a little plot spoiler. It's the love of God. It's in the next verse and it's the love of God. We'll get there in a moment. But first, may be able, uh, again, there's that Greek word, and I just wanted to put up, that up there for, uh, besides my normal curiosity about the Greek words. If I'm going to tell you what the Greek word means, I wanted to put it up there. But also, uh, because I wanted you to see it's not dunamos, and it's not um, exousia, and it's not kratos, and it's this, which means uh, uh, maybe may have the strength enough, may have enough strength, or uh, may receive enough strength. Us, thus may be able to, may find the strength to, may find that you have been given the strength to do this, to comprehend. Okay, so comprehend here is another Greek word. To grasp, seize, tight hold of, arrest, catch, capture, or appropriate. Well, that's the uh, exact definition as given in Strong's Concordance. Now, the different commentators, it's a little difference of opinion is there any point, you know, in other words, is comprehend just a good enough word for this? That comprehend gets it told you don't need to go into all that other stuff and make a distinction. And one commentator is saying, well, look, the revised version says apprehend. Well, that's not necessary. Comprehend is good enough. And then uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Vincent, my um, go-to guy for Greek, a lot of times uh, he says, well, and, oh, he's been dead for a century, so. Just go to his book, of course. That's how we, that's how we interact with uh, the knowledge of people who have been dead for many years. But anyway, uh, he said, well, no, it, it does mean more. I think I understand what they are saying. Comprehend is a correct word. It is, you know, for one word translation, it may be the best we can come up with. And the other commentators point out that 
This Greek word is often used simply of to understand mentally. Not, it doesn't have to be a phys- always a physical thing that you can grasp. True enough. But as a teacher, I can, I, I sort of, I uh, <laughs> apprehend this. I grasp this. Ah, yes, I know what it is. So you explain something to a class. As a, as a teacher, someone who teaches, you explain something to the class. Maybe it's how you do something. Uh, or, or whatever, you know, it may, whatever it may be. You explain it to them. And they are paying attention, they're watching. And you say, now, do you understand what I just explained? Maybe it's how hydrothermal fluids are formed in in cooling magma bodies under the earth. Of course, that's not really something you're going to do. But anyway, uh, maybe it's how you're going to do something in a particular uh, uh, computer program or something. Anyway, they say, do you understand this? And there's semi-blank looks, mouths kind of halfway open, Eyes kind of staring. It's like, oh, no, they don't understand it. And they're kind of, maybe they're kind of nodding. Yeah, yeah, I understand it. Well, there's, aha. Uh-huh. Now, there's understand, and then there's understand. There's understand like, uh, yes, I wrote in my notes exactly what you said about how to do it. And um, I'm going to memorize it, and when you come back on the test, you know, if the question is, how are hydrothermal fluids formed in cooling magma bodies? I'm going to write out exactly what the presser said and get all the points. I understand it. Uh, but that's not what we were after, really. Uh, you know, we want you to be able to, you know, as a professor, the professor wants you to be able to grasp it, to understand how, if it's a thing that you do, like, how do you do this with this computer program? Uh, it's like when we went to online education at TCU with this whole new software and everything, and then they had these day-long online Zoom seminars to explain to us how to do this stuff, explain to a bunch of humanities professors how you do this. And I'm like, what? How you do? Okay. Wait a minute. Um, okay, I, I was with you up to the point where it was turn on your computer and open your browser, and then I think I lost you. Okay. But... Um, that's pretty bad. Uh, but no, it, we, aren't, we aren't that bad. Um, there's understanding and then there's understanding. Did you just, understanding it so you know the words, you can write it down and get 100 on the test? Or do you understand how you could go out of here and you could do that thing? And sometimes you see, you can see it in the student's eyes when that kind of understanding clicks on, when they grasp it. And it's like, oh, I get it. Yeah, that's it. That's what it is. That's what it means to make them understand it, to make them kata, yeah, if I could just see it from here, kata balestai or whatever. Um, To make them do that, to make them really understand it. So it's that you may be able to comprehend, to kata balestai, to uh, really grasp and get a hold of and get a firm grasp on it. Not just have it in your notes, uh, that you may comprehend with all the sense. Okay, we're going to write, okay, a length, breadth, height, depth, and we're write it down here, and I'll know it on the, on the test. No, but you actually know it. You know it so you could take it home and do it right now, and you could go home. And, well, I, there's very few computer programs you could explain to me, and I could go home and do anything with it at all. Um, but this, the, the, the love of God that he's going to be telling us about, he wants us to grasp it that way. Grasp it where you have a firm grip on it and you understand it and you can do something with this. You can act on it. Okay. Long explanation there. The width and length and depth and height. Now, these are concrete measures of dimensions uh, for something that we're going to find out doesn't actually have dimensions, not for a a non-physical thing that is not measurable. That's the point. That was the point. The, you can understand the length and, and breadth and height and depth of something that is infinite. And so you, that you would understand when it comes to God's love, that if you, you know, if you could measure it as far as you could possibly measure it lengthwise, that you would come to the realization, and it goes on 
farther than I can see beyond. And if you would measure as far as you could in, in the next dimension, and you know what, this is as far as I possibly can measure, and it goes on farther than I can see beyond that. And, and its depth and height, that goes on farther than I can see too. And in every direction, it goes farther than I can see. It is infinite. That's the point. There we go. Okay, verse 19. To know the love of Christ, so that's the object of height and length and breadth and depth. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. These are two statements here that almost seem like oxymorons, but it's a matter of dealing with the infinite. Because that's dealing with God. God is infinite. His various properties are infinite, including his love. And we need to grasp that. We need to face that and and deal with that, even though it's infinite and we will not be able to um, ultimately comprehend it, to get around the outside of it. You know, one of the most important things in learning is learning what you don't know and what what is unknown to you and that remembering that and and in fact they say one of the uh, characteristics of a less educated the less you're educated the less you realize that you don't know and as you learn more you realize there's more that you don't know it's almost like for every one thing you learn you find out that there are two more that you don't know and um, it's important to uh, realize that and keep in mind that realm where it goes beyond my knowledge. It's important for me to know that it does. It's important for us to know that it does. So, to know the love of God, to know is gnonai, which is to know, especially through personal experience. So, uh, to experience God's love. To feel that by faith, because that's how it happens, that God really loves me. To know that. And um, the love of Christ, that is Christ's love for us. Of course, it can't be our love for Christ. That would, uh, that's derivative anyway. We love him because he loves us. And you couldn't possibly, de- love, you could not possibly describe our love for Christ in the terms that are being used here. That wouldn't fit. So this is obviously his love for us. We do love him, but because he first loved us. Which passes knowledge. And there's another one of those Hooper uh, compound words. I was reading yesterday that these uh, compound words formed with Hooper above and beyond, exceedingly, often translated by two words in the English, appear in the New Testament 28 times. There are 28 different Hooper compound words with that prefix or that, yeah, prefix, I guess, in, uh, in the New Testament. And 20 of them are used by Paul. He likes to use those. That's his style. It's characteristic of him. Remember, the Holy Spirit used Paul's vocabulary and Paul's style of expression, and the Holy Spirit chose to do that because that is exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted to express. So I assume that when God wanted to express a Hooper idea, he he had Paul write it down for us most of the time. So this is, again, uh, similar to that hyperbolon that we've looked at before, to, to throw beyond, to run beyond, to go past. This is like the arrow that's shot and goes sailing far beyond the target, off into the woods or something, or <laughs> like my brother's slingshot. He used to slingshot uh, little steel ball bearings, and he was a slingshot, trying to shoot a bird in the uh, apple trees in front of our house one day, and, and, uh, which probably shouldn't have been doing, just on general principles, I don't know if that bird had really hurt him at all, but, you know, there it is. So he's got a slingshot, so he thought he'd do it. And uh, he just shot that slingshot, and he hooper ballonned the, uh, the bird and the tree and uh, the front fence and the ditch right out into the highway and right through the window of a car. Oh, Dad was not happy about that at all. Um, neither was the motorist, I might say. Um, anyway... Uh, that's to shoot beyond, to go beyond. This is the, the runner in a marathon who's so much in the zone that he runs right through the chute, right across the finish line and through the chute and out through the finish line and keeps 
uh, through the finish area and keeps right on going. I never did that. I was ready to stop. But um, this is, goes beyond. So it's, it goes beyond. It surpasses. Um, oops, excuse me. Yes, yeah, surpasses uh, knowing. So to know it, and yet it goes beyond. It's like measuring the height and depth and breadth of something that you can't measure. It's like an infinitely, if, if there could be an infinitely large object, which is probably a contradiction of terms, and you try to measure it, you can't. And it's good to know that. You can't measure it. Okay. And be filled with all the fullness of God, or be filled to the measure, would be another way to translate that, to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. But how can an, a finite creature like me or you, a finite, and we are often in this world brought up very abruptly against our own finiteness. And uh, when we're brought up, you know, and here, how can a finite creature like us be filled with all the fullness of God? You know, over there in Colossians it says that, um, it pleased the Father that in him, that is in Christ, should all fullness dwell. And uh, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So uh, if, if all the fullness of God dwells in Christ, but wait a minute, back in verse 17, two verses ago, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that Christ may make his permanent abode in your heart by faith. And Christ in, in, in Christ dwells all the fullness of, of everything. <laughs> all, the, all fullness dwells in Christ. All the fullness of the of Godhead dwells in Christ. And Christ dwells in us. And this is hard to understand. And we don't, you know, it's, again, it's one of those things. We're not going to be able to finally, ultimately understand it in an, in an ultimate final sense. But we do need to understand that it is true. And that this vast, incredible thing is real in us. Okay. Onward. We come now towards the finale. There we go, verse 20. And we get now the beginning of a two-verse, um, uh, really a, a sort of a, a benediction, but a, a, praise, a praise to God, really. So he's, he's uh, exalting God. So really more of a doxology, I guess I should say. Now, to him. So now at, at the end of this whole discussion of verse of chapter one and chapter two of all that God is doing in Christ for the salvation of believers, uh, for God's own glory. And then what we've just seen here of this emphasis and re-emphasis on emphasis of grasp the all, grasp the infinite love of God agape love of God towards you, he says, and now, now to him who is able to do exceeding, exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Exceeding abundantly, another Hooper compound word, uh, so beyond abundance. You think abundance already contains the uh, concept of exceeding. You think of uh, our needs and meeting our needs, like maybe uh, we were real hungry. Maybe we go home today and we're really hungry. And so we want a certain amount of food. And, but we find an abundance of food. There's not only enough food there to satisfy us, but there's more food there than needed to satisfy us. There's an abundance of food, and this is exceeding. This is beyond that. This is abundance beyond abundance. And he's able to do all that. There are uh, some discussion among commentators about the... Um, exact order of the words in this sentence as well. It doesn't really materially change the meaning, so I didn't include an outline point on that because it really comes out to be the same thing. I not want to contend about words to no purpose. Beyond all that we ask or think, he's able to do above all that we ask or think. Now, that, it does not say there that God will do everything we ask. It, it actually doesn't say that. It says he's able to do uh, exceeding abundantly beyond all we ask or think. And indeed, he is. And if it's his will, he will. But he will do that according to his will. But, you know, we know that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. We hear, if he heareth us, we have the petition for which we ask. 
So it's a matter of, are we asking according to God's will? And, um, you know, sometimes we pray and pray and pray for something, and it doesn't happen. And Lord, I've been praying for this for years and years, and I know you're able, and this hasn't happened. He has not seen fit to do this thing. Maybe we've been praying for healing for some. God didn't see fit to heal. And, uh, you know, Paul had that experience too. Prayed that that thorn would be taken away from him. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So, Paul, I'm not going to take it away from you, but I'll give you grace to to, uh, go through it. Sometimes he does heal. So, this is not saying God will do anything you ask. Uh, He's God, after all. And we're just his people. And uh, like a loving father, he's not just going to give the child everything the child wants. Daddy, could you get me a pet skunk? Uh, No, daddy's not going to get you a pet skunk. Or, uh, you know, some other kind of really pernicious thing, uh, like a cat. No, no offense all you cat lovers. But uh, anyway, uh, God knows what's best. God's way is the best way for us. And for, for everyone. So, yes, he's well able to do all his will. And again and again, I'm reminded of how much, you know, our program, maybe not our program, maybe my program, my agenda is the things that I want of things in this life. You know, I want God to protect me from accidents on the road. Well, I do. <laughs> and, I, and I pray for that. And I want God to... Um, protect me from pestilence, and I I, I pray for God to provide, and he does tell me to provide, you know, this day our daily bread. God says so, and said to pray for that, gave me an example, so I pray for that. And and we all do, I imagine, pray for those things, you know, Lord, keep me from sickness, keep me from accident, provide the things that I need. Um, And we ask for a lot of things, and I ask for a lot of things concerning this life. What impresses me as I read in the Bible, is how much those items, while they are not indifferent to God, are well down on his agenda. They're well down his list of things to do. They're not actually up near the top of his list. The things up near the top of his list are, are, are bringing us to heaven, making us like Christ, maybe not in that order, making us like Christ and bringing us to heaven and, and uh, blessing us with, uh, with fellowship with him and with a sense of his love for us and uh, uh, you know, being glorified by us as we are, as we rejoice in His love, and and all those good things. Those are the things, and and then also um, that others may come to saving faith, and then that they may be made like Christ and brought to be with Christ. And um, I'm not even going to worry about the proper sequence of things, but just all those things would be realized in our life and in the lives of others, as many others as possible. That's what's up at the top of his agenda. And uh, not necessarily, not that he doesn't care about me getting here safely or me having food to eat, my daily bread today. He does care about those things. But those aren't at the top of his agenda. And uh, the things that are at the top of his agenda, we're sure those are his will, like the things that this prayer asks for. And so uh, we can ask for those things with confidence. Yeah, that is his will. For sure. That, for example, I'm going to pray, Lord, make me like the Lord Jesus Christ in, in purity and in holiness and in, in love for others. And, you know, that's his will. Yeah, he'll do that. Well, even so, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And, of course, sometimes he does things for us in this world regarding the things of this world and just blesses us. Uh, that's just extra. You know, the, the real blessing is in heaven. And sometimes he just blesses, and in this, blesses us in this life. And that's, that's just all gravy. That's the cherry on top, I guess. That's the extra that he didn't have to do. Above all that we ask or think. Oh, another thing. Um, sometimes people will say silly things to this. And I almost don't know, to, you know, should I mention this? But uh, it's foolishness. But people, it's well, can, can God really do more than I can ask? Like, could, could I think of some request that uh, God could not do? And uh, this reminds me of what my friend Donald T. Williams says, that nonsense 
does not become sense just because it is prefaced with the words, God can, you know, like, or can God, or something like that. Here's what I mean. Someone will say, well, can God make a rock that's so big that he can't move it? Okay, that's nonsense. That's just silliness. God can make whatever size rock he wants to make. And God can move any rock he wants to make. And that's that. He's, he has sufficient power to do all of his holy will. And, and the rest is silliness. So that, this is not, this is not, I don't think any of you all are thinking that way, but just in case anyone would, would think on those terms. No, that is not what that means. It is not meant to be silly. It means God has exceeding power, more than enough, to do all that he plans to do, more than enough to do all that we need to be made like Christ and to uh, be brought into God's presence and to live with him there forever and enjoy his presence forever. Praise the Lord. According to the power that works in us, and of course his power is working in us. And again, the power that's working in it, you know, you think, well, according to the power that works in me. So that's what's doing. It's the power that's working in me. So this wasn't ever actually primarily about preventing me having an accident, a wreck on the, on the highway, or making sure I had enough food to eat, or, or make sure I didn't get sick, although God sometimes does those things for me, and I'm thankful. But this has all really been about uh, making me grasp and understand and fully realize God's infinite agape love for me, and rejoice and revel and, and just be... Hooper happy, <laughs> if I can say that. If I knew any Greek, I'd say there's something for Hooper. Deliriously happy in the knowledge that God loves me and of what he's doing for me and, and be made like Christ. Okay, one more verse. To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I said that we're coming up to the sort of the grand finale of this passage here, I kind of think of, you know, like the, the last uh, two minutes of Tchaikovsky's 1812 overture with the, the director has become a whirling dervish and the whole percussion section section is back there looking like mad woodchoppers and, and the violinists look like they're trying to saw through their violins and my goodness, they even let the brass section play and the trombonists get to play some notes. And, you know, the grand finale of a, of a really exciting piece of music, well, like uh, some of Handel's music. Well, here we come to the last verse. So it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, exceeding abundantly above all that ye ask or think, verse 21, according to the power that worth in you, and then verse 21, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. To him be glory. Um, I put the Greek up there in this case because I wanted to show you that it really could be translated and maybe should be translated to him, to him the glory. That's um, the uh, literal translation. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you on the strength of my gross lack of knowledge of Koine Greek or any other kind of Greek whether that article really belongs there in the English because it's present in the Greek, because Greek uses articles a lot more than English does. And you'll find Greek articles, they'll use a, de a definite article with the word, in, and it really doesn't get translated into English. It doesn't really belong there. The commentators who know Greek said it belongs there. So to him, the glory. Not just some of the glory, a little glory, enough glory, adequate glory. No, the glory, all of the glory belongs to him. In the church, it's the church is, is God's, sometimes we'll talk about someone who's saved out of a life of extreme sin will say, oh, he's a trophy of grace. You know, we all are trophies of grace. We all uh, can, can, I think, maybe identify with the Apostle Paul when he talked about you know, himself as the chief of sinners. And, and with John Newton, when he titled his autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, and uh, that we, that any of us should ever be in heaven, that is a fantastic monument to God's grace, that he would save us. And the church is, is where God is demonstrating. And earlier in this chapter, we've seen where God demonstrated to the angels in the church. God showed to the angels the multifaceted, multi-hued, just 
amazing kaleidoscope of his wisdom in devising the plan of salvation. And the church is where God is glorified. And the church is also the temple that God is building out of the component parts, the individual believers, in which he, for him to dwell and to be glorified to all eternity. So to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus. The Old King James and the New King James translate it by Christ Jesus. I like those translations. But in this case, every other translation I could lay my hands-on, said, in Christ Jesus. Really, there's no difference in meaning. The, the meaning is clear. Uh, this is in Christ Jesus. And of course, in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, it's been in Christ Jesus all the way through. This is, is where and how God does this for us. To all generations forever and ever, says the New King James, or uh, literally from the Greek, to all the generations of the age of the ages, because that's the way you say it in Greek. But throughout all eternity, and I don't know whether there'll be days, months, years, ages, or what. I guess there'll be ages, but whatever that will mean. But for all eternity, in a world there, this world that we're in now, this world will end. It's reserved for fire. But there, uh, in heaven, in a world without end, the church will be the temple in which God will abide. Or, uh, Of course, it's a figurative statement. God... uh, Christ is the temple also there. But um, we will be in Christ and he will be in us and dwell among his people and inhabit the praise of his people. And all the glory will be to him throughout all eternity in the church. Praise the Lord. Let's close with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your love toward us, which is beyond our knowing. And yet we desire to know it and experience it as we can in our finite uh, beings. Help us to walk in this knowledge as we go forward in our lives. We pray now that you bless us in the service to follow and manifest your spirit among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You were dismissed.